It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Hey, everybody, this is Greg Gutfeld. This is The One. I am excited to have with me today the former editor-in-chief of Spin Magazine and TV Guide. But I'm here to talk about his new book, which has a lot of great stuff in it. If you are a fan of, like, mid to late 70s rock and roll, like I'm talking uh, Cheap Trick, Aerosmith, Kiss, I'm a huge, or I was a huge Cheap Trick fan in the 70s. It was the second concert I saw. The first concert I saw was The Police at Zellerback. On April, I had to look this up. On April 3rd, 1979 at Zellerback, because I was trying to do some research for my questions. And I found out that when I saw Cheap Trick open for Blue Easter Cult, it was August 19th at, at Spartan Stadium, San Jose, 1979. A guy threw up on my feet, just threw up all over my feet. And um, I was taking pictures with those dis- with a disposable camera. Do you remember those things? No one makes them anymore. Anyway, I digress. I'm with Doug Broad. His book is called They Just Seem a Little Weird, How Kiss, Cheap Trick, Aerosmith, and Stars Remade Rock and Roll. They Just Seem a Little Weird is obviously a lyric from Surrender, one of Cheap Trick's great songs. Doug, how are you? I'm doing great, Greg. How are you? I'm doing pretty damn good. How did we meet? Do you remember? Oh, God. We met. Many years ago, I was actually on uh, Red Eye. Yes. Uh, when I was at Spin, and we were talking about, I don't know what we were talking about. <laughs> we were promoting some Spin thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought I met you. See, I thought, but I met you before that, right? Didn't I meet? Because, like, well, you we, and I were, we um, met, go ahead. Yeah, we met then, and then we met socially years later um, around the Wild Hearts. Yes, yes. Was he in town or something? Um, yes, Ginger he was recording. Ginger was recording, and we all went out for drinks yes. with uh, Sam Piaffa of uh, New York Dolls, mm-hmm. and uh, in Midtown, I recall. Yes, my God, I would not. I would have totally forgotten about the other guy. That's right. <laughs> that was fun. I don't do that much anymore. Yes, I I just hide in my apartment <laughs> and and listen to old records. So here's the deal. I you know I. I, I enjoyed your book because it's so rich in detail and I heard people that I – like I didn't realize how bitter Bunny Carlos is about Cheap Trick. But Bunny Carlos – I'm going to talk mainly about Cheap Trick because I love that band so much. But what's the deal with Bunny Carlos and Cheap Trick? Um, I don't know if he's so much bitter. I just think that it was one of the situations where um, the band had a very um, – a very bitter uh, separation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was mostly personality related. Um, also, Bunny, uh, from what I understand, did not want to keep playing long shows, and he wanted to do a long uh, residence uh, residency in Vegas when the band were doing um, Sergeant Pepper's. They were covering Sergeant Pepper's in Vegas, right? And I know that there there were a lot of issues swirling around then and it just came to a head and and after many many years uh they parted ways yeah you know um cheap trick is kind of a is an interesting kind of way to see what people are like if you gravitate towards cheap trick it says something about i think your personality 
or your desire for something different. Because if you, as you know, the band was the weirdest looking band on the planet. I would say weirder, obvious, uh, weirder than Kiss. Kiss was, you know, consistently in this all this makeup, but Cheap Trick had two members of their band that looked like they should never be near a, a guitar or a set of drums, and then you had two poster boys. And together, they just seemed like such an anomaly, an anomaly, and yet they made it work. Uh, would you, could they have been more successful if they did? If they looked, if they looked more like an ensemble, I, I don't think so. To be honest with you, I think. And one of the points of the book is is I wanted to look at four bands that actually were theatrical and and yeah. and tried to bring a show back into rock and roll because back then a lot of rock and roll was just you know long haired guys playing on stage without either without much enthusiasm or just with kind of a rote presentation. I mean, you had bands like Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd, but it wasn't that theatrical at the time. Then you had Alice Cooper who came in with the, you know, with all the bizarro um, effects and makeup and blood and whatever. And then Kiss brought that to sort of the nth degree, but then Cheap Trick come along and they have this weird kind of duality of mm-hmm. the pretty boys and the nerds. And I think the visual presentation really sort of put them over. I mean, the music itself was 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 different enough. Yeah. But I think it was the entire package that really did it for them. Yeah, you know, I will I have to say the uh uh the first cheap trick album is probably one of the darkest debut records I've I I I've ever seen. If you're talking I think it's 1976, 77 and they, they were 57. doing yeah 77 and so they they have songs even the, I mean I, I'm not gonna rattle off the titles but they had songs about uh serial killers and just weird uh weird titles that you wouldn't normally see in other songs and it just felt like there's they felt like there was something really sinister underneath the pop music right yeah that was all Rick Nielsen really I mean yeah. he, when, when I interviewed him for the book he he's a huge tabloid magazine fan and <laughs> and he loves reading about real really bizarre real life incidents and you know like you said I mean that that album has really dark stuff there's a there's sort of a pedophile song on that mm-hmm. record there's also a, um, a you know a song about suicide yep. drug ODs I mean there's a lot of a lot of downbeat material but but they 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 put it in, in in like these sickly sweet melodies and and really raw guitar and it's just sort of a remarkable mixture of sounds. Yeah, it's uh, I w- I mean they were kind of punk without even knowing that that was happening at the time. I mean, there I, I always felt that there was an, a, a kind of a you could hear the Sex Pistols or you could almost hear Johnny Rotten and Robin Zander, but I don't think I think that was just. By chance, but they were just had a they had a kind of a natural punk attitude uh, to their hard rock. I think really, yeah, yeah. I mean, they had been playing together all of them since '74. Yeah. You know, pretty much before the Sex Pistols actually had actually come here. Although I know for a fact that that at least Rick Nielsen was was a fan, and they they really liked punk rock. Yeah. Um. But that was the thing about Cheap Trick back in the day. They were they were uncategorizable because mm-hmm. they weren't really. Um, they weren't a metal band. They didn't look like like typical hard rockers. They weren't quite punk. They weren't quite new wave. They were just this kind of, you know, interesting Midwest amalgam of all these things. All right, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. 
This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Did you ask, I, I think you might have asked Rick Nielsen, why he chose to dress like uh, one a member of the, uh, was it the Bowery Boys? Uh, which none of our, I don't know if anybody even knows what I'm talking about, who the Bowery Boys were. But <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah. Remember they used to be on, um, like on, on the weekends on like some channel that would have like creature features. You'd have Abbott and Costello and there'd be some, every now and then you'd have the Bowery Boys. Yeah. He, he, he looked like uh, Hunts Hall, who was yeah. one of the Bowery Boys who wore a, um, an upturned baseball cap and had this very kind of rubbery face. Um, I don't know if it was, I actually didn't ask him if it was an intentional replication, but it just seemed too, um, too close yeah. <laughs> uh, to, to be anything else. Exactly. Now I want to shift gears. I, you know, when I'm, when I was reading the book, the book, I was having the same sensation. I was, uh, I was, oh God, I was reading a book uh, that, that Iggy Pop was featured in and it, a lot of stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. What book was it? About groupies, and um, mm-hmm. and when you read, so when you're reading about kind of the the sexual exploits of the things that are going on in the '70s, you feel like you're reading something from another planet because does that it, it's like the world has changed, and I'm wondering if if if, if they if, if it's I, I don't even know what my question is. It seems so foreign and strange. And do you find that when you were looking when you were writing this stuff that it was it it, it was Made you nervous or anything? Um, not so much nervous, although, like you said, I mean, it really was a different time back then. And I, one thing I didn't really get into too much in the book was the groupie stuff and the sex stuff. I mean, you know, Gene Simmons yeah. was legendary for taking photos of all of his conquests. And actually, that's kind of a, a riff that comes out throughout the book. Right. All of these um, people, whether they're um, <laughs> journalists or other musicians, Gene always had to show off right. his huge scrapbooks to these guys yeah. of all these women who were posed the same exact way mm-hmm. naked on his bed in various hotel rooms. Yeah, it, all over the world. Why? Why was this so important to him? You know, I would, I would, I, that would just creep me out. I don't need to see this. Uh, you know, <laughs> but well, uh, that's the thing about Gene. You know, Gene, Gene's, you know, is is legendary for just being a very. Um, a, a very boastful person. And right. I think back then it was, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was, it worked to his advantage to, to, to boast about his conquest. I mean, I don't think nowadays that kind of stuff flies too much, but yeah. uh, back then he was, you know, he was the guy. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's interesting. I've talked to people in bands and part of the reason that guys got into music was because of to get girls. And, and so, and back then it was, I think, you know, that was just, you know, and, you know, that was just came with the territory, I guess. One band I'd never heard of, which is in your title, is Stars. How did I miss this band? Because it, it, you, you have them, you, you cover Kiss. If you're, see, I don't, I, I really didn't get into Kiss, and maybe it's because I just wasn't into the theatrics of it. I felt Aerosmith was too, um, I don't know, hyper masculine for me. And uh, Cheap Trick was like that. Cheap Trick was for nerds and dorks, but I didn't even know what stars, who stars was. Are they from Boston also or? No, 
No, they were they were a New York band. Okay. Um, so, so the reason they're in the book, you know, I I wanted to 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 tell the story of seventies rock through a different lens, and you know, looking at one of uh, looking at the Gene Simmons nineteen seventy eight solo album when all four members of Kiss did solo albums, um, he had guest guitarists from Aerosmith, Joe mm-hmm. Perry. He had Rick Nielsen play on that album, and he had this guy Richie Rano mm-hmm. from Stars play on that album as well. Stars were a band that were managed by Kiss's management, Bill O'Coin. Mm-hmm. They were on Capitol Records for four records. They were produced by Jack Douglas, who produced the great Aerosmith records and the first Cheap Trick record and another Cheap Trick record. And, you know, they toured with Aerosmith, opened for many shows um, in the 70s for Aerosmith. And they were just one of those bands in that era that had many of the same advantages of these other bands and many of the same opportunities, but never made that leap. And I wanted to find out why. Why Mm. did this band that was so fortunate in many other respects, why didn't they become a success? Mm -hmm. And what was the answer? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the answer, I mean, there there were many, many Mm. um, answers that were given to me. I think the, the 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 main one was just that they couldn't they couldn't get a, a hit song on the radio yeah. and back then a rock band in order to sell a lot of albums had to have a top they they had to, they had to have a top ten hit I mm-hmm. mean they stars managed to to eke out a, a number thirty three pop single which actually I had never heard back in the day I was like you I mean mm-hmm. I, I I knew who they were but I'd never heard them. Mm-hmm. In the seventies, I'd seen their ads in magazines, and I'd seen their albums, but I never paid attention to them. It wasn't until um, Ryko Disc released their uh, material on CD in two thousand five, I believe, when I finally heard them, and I actually ended up loving the band. Yeah, you know, you brought up something about uh, getting a hit, and I want to bring it now to the present. And when you're looking at the, the at the terrain, you know, it's interesting. How do bands I mean, like pretending even with the without the pandemic, right? The pandemic has killed all touring, and I'm sure that you have friends that are just absolutely depressed. Or, I mean, like if you, people in the, that I know in the music business, it's just uh, it's been brutal. But mm-hmm. how how do bands survive now? How do when you really don't have the radio, and you of course you have Spotify, but I mean the royalty, kind of the royalty situation has changed it's is, is it harder to be a musician now than it was oh i think it, it's definitely harder to make you know to, to get notice now i mean actually no let me let me rephrase that it's probably a little easier to get noticed because there are so many channels and opportunities to be noticed mm-hmm. and just one viral thing can basically you know make you explode However, there's so much competition out there. There's so there's so uh, few eyeballs for so many bands. Yeah. Uh, and also, you know, in, in terms of rock and roll, I mean, Gene is always saying this, and I, I, I half agree with him when, when Gene says that, you know, rock and roll is kind of dead right now. The guitar rock is just not mm-hmm. a genre that is appreciated anymore, except by a very small fraction of the of the audience um so it's it's a tough it's it's tough to be heard you know in today's environment when when the the ruling sound is not rock and roll yeah that's so true and i don't i don't know if the if that kind of guitar-based music is going to come back even as i mean as somebody who just you know that's what i listened to i adored 
that music and then got heavily into punk and was a punk forever. But I loved the, you know, the core, you know, three chords, the Ramones, the Clash, the Pistols. Now, I mean, and I don't know if it's age, but I, I'm, I just listen to almost entirely, with the exception of the Melvins, I look in, in some bands like that. I listen to electronic music, um, and I, I don't. I don't know why, if that's a mellowing or whatnot, but I've like, it's probably just, I've just got old. Why don't I just admit well, it? <laughs> you know, I, it's funny because, you know, everyone I, I talk to in the book or most people I talk to in the book tell me at some point they fall off the kiss train. And, yeah. and I was one of those guys. I, I was a fan until around 1980. I saw them on the dynasty tour in 1979. And then by the following year, I was, I had moved on to punk as well. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like neglected to to keep up with these bands, except for Cheap Trick, who have mm-hmm. always been my favorite band. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but then when Kiss came back in 96 with the reunion tour, when they put their makeup back on, I kind of was all in again. Yeah. So um, yeah, it, you know, people's tastes change. And it's funny you mentioned the Melvins because I, I interviewed uh, Dale Crover for the book, who was a huge Kiss fan. Right. And he had told me, you know, so many people in the book were telling me that the Beatles on Ed Sullivan was the moment that made them wanted to be musicians. I mean, Bunny Carlos told me, Richie Rano from Stars told me, all these guys. I mean, it's a cliche, but it was true. Um, but Dale Crover told me that it was seeing Kiss on the Paul Lind Halloween special. <laughs> that was his... Beatles on Ed Sullivan moment. That makes sense to me. I've met Dale a couple of times and I love his, I love his solo out the last solo album he did, which is flying fingers of fate or something like that. To me, it's very, it's very melodic. And then he's also got, uh, I, um, God, I heard a couple of, yeah, I think that's the album. Uh, I, they did a little TV show and I, his, he, he's really great. I mean, super talented. That whole band's amazing. I get their, their new Melvin's record is great. Uh, even with the kind of throwaway comic so- comical songs, it's still like a solid nine, ten songs from the Melvins that you can count on. Um, well, look, Doug, I really enjoyed the book, and I always enjoy music books about rock music or music in general because you have to really be into it to write it, and you have to really push for it to get published. Because I've been tra- I've been t- pitching music books. And like my agent's like, just stop it. You're going to put your face on the book and talk about liberalism. <laughs> but anyway, but uh, um, it's a great book. Um, I would say, where can you find it? But everybody knows where you can find it. It's uh, just go to Amazon or uh, if is there a website that you have that you also want them to go to to find anything? Uh, you know, if, if a bookstore is open in your in yeah. your area, it's probably there or yeah. go to Amazon. Yeah. So it's they just seem a little weird. How Kiss, Cheap Trick, Aerosmith, and Stars Remade Rock and Roll. I heartily recommend it. It's also got pictures, which I love. And uh, and 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 the great thing about the book is that like every paragraph is almost an anecdote. Or I always uh, I always use the phrase hot spot when I'm writing. It's like there's always like something in each paragraph that is like a little morsel. It's a hot a fact or an interesting quote, and that and the and the book is just like hot spot after hot spot, even about bands. If you're not so much interested in, I really I you know I learned a lot about Aerosmith. I didn't realize how decadent they were uh, back then in in terms of the drug use and stuff. But uh, that's for another time. Doug, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Greg. You got it. Take care.
Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.